the Rugged Individual Podcast on ModForceRadio.com. On the Rugged Individual, we talk about obscene subjects like success, motivation, liberty, Americana, capitalism, libtards, eating meat, Jesus, strength training, guns, testicular fortitude, and whatever the host wants. Relax, here we are still a free country. The Rugged Individual, where good people roam. He's here, the host of the Rugged Individual podcast, the cowboy from Boston, the hybrid redneck, the purpose-driven warrior, Maximum Bob Whalen. Tonight, it's an honor for me to welcome back to Mind Force Radio the first guest on our new podcast, The Rugged Individual, my good friend, Professor Bradley J. Steiner. Brad was a guest last year on Natural Strength Night, but tonight he will be talking about some of the important principles of self-defense. Brad is a world-renowned expert in two separate fields, strength training and the martial arts, especially self-defense and close combat. He has written over 30 published books in these areas of study. Brad is a 10th degree black belt and founder and grandmaster of American Combato. Professor Steiner is president and CEO of the International Combat Martial Arts Federation, an elite and prestigious organization of internationally recognized close combat, self-defense, and martial arts authorities. Brad is a great home study DVD course and a great monthly newsletter, Sword and Pen, For more information, please visit Brad's two great websites, AmericanCombato.com, and Combato is spelled C-O-M-B-A-T-O, and SeattleCombatives.com. Brad, welcome back to Mind Force Radio as our first guest on the new podcast, The Rugged Individual. Thank you. It's great to be back. Now, Brad, tell us about your journey in the martial arts, um, how it started, how it evolved to American Combato. Oh, about the age of seven, I got some introductory lessons to boxing from uh, cousin Bobby, which uh, really didn't do too much for me, but it piqued my interest uh, very much since I did have an interest in self-defense, which is why I wanted him to teach me. The first I also consumed every publication I could order through comic books on jiu-jitsu and self-defense and uh, related subjects, which uh, obviously there's a limited amount you can get for those from those kinds of publications. But when I was uh, a bit older, um, I enrolled in what I believe was one of the first martial arts schools in New York, which was Judo Incorporated. The gentleman who ran it was Jerome Mackey, and he had all native Japanese instructors there. It was a, it was really a good school, although it was highly commercialized. The instruction was very good. I liked the instructors. I learned to respect judo, but also did not wish to continue it for much longer because it was a sport. And while I respect all of the sports, that's not my thing. My thing is self-defense. Later on, I got into a few different schools of jiu-jitsu, which is self-defense. I studied at the Sigurd Sports Academy, where I learned both Bob, uh, Robert Sigurd's system of self-defense, and at that time, a professor, Kiyoshi Nakai. Uh, his book, Jiu-Jitsu Complete, was published by Lyle Stewart, and I think that's still available uh, for people who are interested um, very much enjoyed Bob Sigurd's instruction. I very much liked Kyoshi Nakai's, but the classical jiu-jitsu proved to be, to me, a very sketchy form of practical self-defense. So I was looking around. I took a course from a gentleman named Cesar Bujosa. He taught what he called Jakata, and I took a course in Indian or Hindu self-defense which is called Vamani. And some people are still familiar with that in the martial arts. It's not a very well-known system. The individual who taught that was, uh, and this is the name he went by, Swami Vidyagananda. 
And uh, hmm. it was a very good teacher. It was a good course, a very interesting study. Um, some strange things about it, which I won't go into. And uh, later on, I got involved in, uh, in, other, in other courses. I got into Taekwondo, uh, which the headmaster of the Chungdo Kwan, which is the school that I studied, was, is the late Duk Sung Sun. The man I studied under, it was Young Lee, and and I've done a lot of uh, uh, training otherwise for shorter periods of time in this or that martial art. Uh, the best instructor I ever had in New York City was the late Charlie Nelson. I stayed with him for almost three years, although his basic course was only 20 lessons. And um, I, when I discovered the book Kill or Get Killed and Get Tough, Killer Get Killed by Rex Applegate, who I had the privilege to meet later on in life and become associated with for a quarter of a century, and uh, Get Tough by William Fairbairn. That was that was like arriving at Mecca, because those two books finally presented to me what in the back of my highly questionable mind I was looking for. I wanted practical, aggressive self-defense. I'm not an aggressive person. I don't fight with people. I, I don't like violence. I just, just, But I was interested in serious self-defense, and it got no more serious than what was in those two books, and they influenced me. They also led me to obtain other volumes from the World War II era, which I discovered really reached a pinnacle in the history of martial arts, certainly in the Western world. And um, I followed those books um, and later on, as I developed my own approach to things, which finalized in 1975, when I founded and uh, copyrighted American Combato, um, Combato meaning the way of combat, and in Mandarin Chinese, it's called Zhen Dou Tao, the way of combat or the way of battle. Uh, I incorporated all of what I could learn about the World War II systems from every source I could access with the principles and practical techniques of those systems I had studied. I was also been a system of Kenpo Karate under Professor Su Li in Chinatown. And um, there, were, there were many things in the traditional martial arts that were practical. They just had to be excised from all the... Uh, the pomp and circumstance and the uh, and the other impractical techniques. And I worked pretty hard for years to, to put this together. And finally, as I said, in 1975, I had a system. The system has been changed a little, but not drastically since its inception. And one of the key things that distinguishes it is it is a very aggressive system based on offense. And in light of that, I coined the term, when you are attacked, attack the attacker. And that has influenced quite a number of people. And um, it's now accepted as basic doctrine by many people who came quite some time after I did and have tried to follow suit and teach practical defense and unarmed combat. I also include uh, combat handgun shooting, uh, combat use of the fighting knife, the walking stick, shotgun, semi-automatic carbine, military tomahawk, and miscellaneous improvised weapons. It's a pretty comprehensive system, and it's for those people who are simply looking for effective self-defense and or close combat people in the military, etc. Anything dealing with self-defense, you, you cover it completely. I try to. I, I met Colonel Rex Applegate in the 19... Um, uh, just around, oh, I think it was around 1980. And I had uh, many discussions with him, much training from him. And he had that approach as well during World War II. He having been the student and opposite number eventually of his teacher, who was William Fairbairn. Um, he, uh, Applegate became chief um, close combat instructor for the office of strategic services, which is the forerunner of CIA. And Applegate's view, as well as Fairbairn's, was 
Close combat is to include everything that works, weapons, unarmed, etc. I took it somewhat further than that over the years. After all, I had more time. World War II was only a few years, and uh, the training programs they taught at that time were very encapsulated and brief. They had to be. Well, I've had years and years, and uh, I, uh, I incorporated a good deal of psychological conditioning. Uh, I'm a licensed hypnotist, and I, I've used principles of hypnosis to influence the way I teach classes. I use it formally as a technique. People can use self-hypnosis programs that I've developed or one-on-one -on -one with people, and we can do hypnosis individually. Very good way to prepare the mind, and of course, mental conditioning is critical to being effective in close combat or self-defense. Uh, the mind is uh, probably 90% of the equation. The techniques are very important, but those people who are most successful are those people with the right mindset. I also emphasized weight training. In fact, I, I wrote the first article on weight training for the martial arts in America in the old Strength and Health magazines. It was titled uh, Weight Training for the Budoka, Budo being the study of martial arts and martial ways. And they misspelled my name. They put Bradley K. Steiner, but that's me, and I <laughs> wrote that article. Brad, please highlight the differences between um, practical self-defense or, or close combat um, as compared to the sport of the martial arts. Oh, sure. Well, necessarily, any sport, no matter how aggressive in quotes it is, must have rules and regulations, skills, I'm talking about fighting sports, skills that are banned, regulations of how the battles are to be conducted, and so on. If it doesn't have that, then by definition, it's not a sport. In American combato, there are no rules or regulations. There's no competition here. The idea is to take the enemy off the count as quickly as possible. And that, of course, is a very extreme attitude, which is necessary in a self-defense situation. Um, to some extent, my philosophy, which is probably as extreme as it gets, is paralleled in other schools and systems that teach self-defense as well, if they teach it properly. Because once you have rules that interfere with what a person can do, you've made it a, an artificial context in which they are going after each other. Remember, in real situations, you may be attacked by more than one person. You may be attacked when you're sick. You may be attacked when you're with your loved ones. You may be attacked by somebody who is armed, by multiple people who are armed. You may be attacked in your home, in your place of business. You may encounter anything that anyone can throw at you. I always teach students to assume four basic things when they train. Number one, that your attacker is physically and technically superior to you. Number two, that he's armed, even if you don't see a weapon in his hand. Number three, to maim or kill you. Don't go into it thinking you can handle him easily and he's not really wanting to hurt you. And finally, that he has help, even if you haven't initially seen another attacker. And with those assumptions, you proceed to learn serious combat. Anybody who is training in skills that can be competed with full force is obviously not training in something that is reliable in a life or death situation because he's competing with it. There is a way for the opponent to deal with it. And when the smoke clears, they both shake hands or embrace and walk away. There's no, there's no danger, there's no damage done. Well, the assumption in any practical combat system is that a lot of damage is going to be done to you or to your assailant. And it behooves you to see to it that it's not to you, that it's to the assailant. You know, there's so many rules. I remember one time you sent me this real funny email about rules, and you, and you said something like, 
All these things that are banned are the things I want my students to do. Immediately, yes. Those were the rules that are in place for those who participate in the currently popular mixed martial arts or the UFC. And if you like those activities, do it. God bless you. Enjoy it. But they are not preparation for combat. They do not include combat. And they do excise exactly those skills that a person needs most and should resort to immediately. You're, you're going to gouge the eyes, you know, kick in the testicles. I mean, all these things that are banned are some of the first things you're going to want to do in, in self-defense. It's, it's, yeah, it's nothing to do with sport martial arts. Absolutely correct. And you want to use it with every ounce of strength you can, with as much speed and accuracy as you can summon while staying balanced, and you want to follow up. And you want to use deceit and deception to get the opponent off guard and every filthy, underhanded, gutter-fighting trick you can summon and call upon to win. That's self-defense. We're talking about the average person in the Western society. I mean, I know we've talked about this before, and I agree with you totally how most Westerners, you know, especially Americans now, they're they're soft. People in the World War Two days and and before that, it's amazing because we went to the war late. You know, we get in we get in late and we managed to take these guys who didn't train. Most of them didn't didn't work out like they do now. They didn't eat well. You know, they they were they smoked cigarettes and everything else, and they they got them combat ready so fast. So that that just shows you how these these books from the World War Two era. They they just cut to the chase. There was no fluff, and I can see how much you see why you you like them so much. Oh, absolutely true. Remember, we were a healthier country then. Hell, the average person you meet today doesn't even know if he's male or female, or something else. <laughs> I, know. I mean, there, there was no que- there was no there was no talk of of the Marine Raiders having occasion to see two of their members get married. There was no ridiculousness like we have today. I mean, today we're living in a kind of circus or vaudeville show or menagerie. I mean, their uniforms may look cute and they may have the same title, but the fighting men of World War II were the products of largely reasonable, healthy homes, whether they came from city or country or rural areas or farms or whatever. They were highly motivated. It was clear morality was clear during the 40s. There was no no question that people understood what it meant to have freedom. They appreciated it. And they understood that just because some dumb cluck who's voted into office tells you something, it's not necessarily true. If you look at the people today and compare them with the American citizens of the 40s, they come out a pretty distant 450th somewhere behind right. animals right people now are just happy to get their latte and uh you know uh if, if someone likes their facebook page or something that in their happy. and now and, it's, it's legal to, to go uh i think in some places it is here in washington state it's legal to go buy pot yep i know it's unbelievable it's legal by pot. so lattes that's that's mild yeah because i heard you say before that um um most Westerners now wouldn't even have the will to defend themselves or their loved ones. I mean, they they would probably just pick up their cell phone. They wouldn't know how to react. They wouldn't know how to defend themselves or their loved ones. Well, what you said was literally true here in a neighborhood called the Capitol Hill area of Seattle. This incident really occurred. Some madman was in the process in the street of attacking and raping a woman. Along came this teacher, this uh, school teacher, and with the best of intentions, I mean, you, you can't fault the man for how he felt. He stopped and he yelled at the rapist police and he had his cell phone in his hand, whereupon the rapist got up and beat this guy so badly he was permanently disabled. Now, you don't request that a rapist stop. You stop him. And that right. really is, at least for some of us, that's common sense. At least for some of us. 
And and where that leaves you, when that leaves you, you become something like a moax. You you can't really function. You have to understand. There are times when you want to make a phone call. Sure, if you're going to order a pizza, if you have to call in late to work, or you want to chat with your friend. But when you're trying to stop a forcible rape, that's not the time to get on the phone. That's the that's time right. to do some damage and do it quickly and without mercy to the rapist. Yeah, most people are walking around not paying attention. Um, you know, what does the average person need to know about technical and tactical readiness? A tremendous amount. Alertness is critical. The first basic rule of self-defense that I teach is avoidance. And being alert can help you to avoid a lot of situations before they even happen. Uh, tactically, you, you have to be ready to preempt anyone who attacks you or counter them if they somehow take you off guard. But avoidance is critical, especially today in this litigious lunatic asylum we live in. And you want to make sure that your awareness, your situational awareness is kept honed at an edge because you do live in a dangerous society. The, the lowest and the worst amongst us no longer are restrained. They know they can get away with hideous crimes. They don't care. And right. you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware when you're dealing with somebody who's starting to become abrasive or violent. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlarger 9 product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at VitalNutritionStore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle, Smoke, and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees' understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, 
strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen. To maximize your natural muscular and strength potential, please visit physicalculturebooks.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website, webstrengthcoach.com. He will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs, a program right for you. Bob will give you feedback after every workout. This is old-school fitness and nutrition, no fads and no gimmicks. Bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied. So visit WebStrengthCoach.com today and let Bob help you reach your best self. WebStrengthCoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation. A masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, Iron Game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I-R-O-N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on MindForce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30- or 60-second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on MindForceRadio.com. You're listening to the Rugged Individual Podcast, where good people roam on... ModForceRadio.com Because you might very quickly be able to just turn it all off and avoid trouble and get the hell out of there and everything will be fine. As opposed to just plodding ahead and being unaware and then ending up in a situation that's very undesirable. People have to learn it's not a safe world. And uh, What, What do you think is part of the reason for the cities, you know, in Western society, you know, especially in America, you know, Detroit, Baltimore, St. Louis, you name it. It's like, why, why do you think they're deteriorating and uh, law enforcement is just losing control? Because of the absence of reason and common sense, the weakening of our morality in this country, the socializing of our society, the, the idea that uh, you, you can't say certain things about certain people lest they be offended, even though they're doing catastrophic things, the pandering to the stupid and the weak and the criminal, that this has become right. something that's regarded as virtuous. 
I think, for example, some of these crimes that are... I always recommend to my students they read the online New York Daily News uh, every morning because this covers the world as far as violent attacks go and everything. You read this stuff, and I think some of these violent criminals should be buried and fed to red ants or drawn and quartered when you consider what they do raping children, just brutalizing the elderly, beating people up after ganging up on them for no reason. This is not human behavior. And those who do it should not be treated like human beings. And our society, as a rule, should stop sanctioning this indirectly by apologizing for these animals and and attributing poverty to them. This Since when is poverty? a reason for behaving like a wild animal. I mean, in generations past, many of the greatest industrialists came out of poverty. Hell, what sort of great wealth did Abraham Lincoln grow up with? Uh, You know, we're off track. We're not being reasonable. We're entertaining the idea that tolerance for anything is okay, and it isn't. And we're paying the price for tolerating what isn't okay. Right. And something that's tolerated 20 years later, it has to be full-blown, 100% agreement. It's like, you know, if you look back 20 years ago, some of the things they were saying to tolerate, now it's like it's no longer tolerate. You have to completely 100% agree or you're a bigot. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it gradually wears down a society. And uh, that's the intention. The minority of people, such as yourself and myself, and I'm, I'm assuming the majority of people, if not all of the people who will be listening to what we're talking about now, don't count. Because the overwhelming majority has been guzzling the Kool-Aid for uh, two generations. We're just a, a minority. We're the, we're the blind, uh, we're the sight, the people with one eye in the valley of the blind, and uh, we don't count. Yep. What, what kind of advice do you have? Because I know part of your philosophy is you try to avoid violence, you know, because I know American combato, you, you know, you're, you're trying to avoid violence. But once there's no way out of it, then you attack, right? But, but what are some of the ways that you teach your students, you know, if you meet some drunk bully in a bar that's just looking for trouble, before you go on attack, you make an effort to try to avoid the trouble. Like, what, what are some of the things you say to your students to avoid um, avoid fighting with a jerk, you know, well, rather than all, just fighting? Well, first of all, I wouldn't right. go into a bar. I'm serious about that. I tell my students, and they're, in many instances, highly educated adults, uh, don't don't go into a bar. If you've got to get drunk, get a bottle of something and go home and fall down on the living room floor. <laughs> I mean, if you've got right. to drink, well, go to a decent restaurant where they also serve liquor. Don't go to a bar. Going into right. a bar is going to a place where there is a much greater likelihood of trouble. And that's foolish. Mm-hmm. Um, I always uh, tell a student, for example, let's say somebody is trying to start trouble with them, saying something like, look, I'm really sorry if I offended you. I just got out of the hospital. Please, let's not argue anymore. And then trying to get out of there. Now, that does several things for you. First of all, if the idiot who is trying to start trouble has half a brain, he's going to think to himself, oh, well, this guy's sick. I better not put a hand on him. Second, he's going to save face because when he and the people around him hear that you have a heart condition or you're sick, well, you know, there's no no status in beating you up. As far as you're concerned, it raises your element of surprise, if you should have to defend yourself, to the peak. Because if this person attacks you thinking you're a cardiac patient and you uh, unleash something, he's going to be totally shocked. As opposed to if you stupidly say something to him like, look, I don't want any trouble. I'm a black belt. I mean, that that to me, is almost provoking trouble. Um, so you, you try to tr- apologize. You know, if you were dealing with some exotic animal, let's say you went into a pet shop and they had this weird exotic animal in a corner 
And the owner of the pet shop said to you when you asked if I could see that animal up close, and he said, yeah, but you've got to make certain sounds in order to make sure he doesn't bite you. You would make the sounds, you know, whatever they are. You'd make the ridiculous sounds. Well, that's the way you should look at what you have to say to some anthropoid who wants to start trouble. Just make the sounds. It's a reflection on him. I'm sorry I bothered you. You know, you're absolutely right. Please excuse me. Oh, I don't want any trouble. I I just, I'm not feeling well. I've got to get home and take my medicine. You know, saying these things just might shut down a situation that could become legally dangerous for you. And you don't need that. You don't want that. But you you have a system where you teach your students, you try to avoid it. But then once you, you have like a, I heard you mention it before, there's like a, a switch that you flip, right? And you don't stop until either your attacker is stopped or... Yeah, you, you, you throw a metal switch and you go. You certainly would be foolish to err on the side of caution for your opponent. Once right. it's clear to you that you're in danger, that he doesn't say what you want to hear, not that he's offended you verbally, not that you don't like his looks, none of that. When you feel in your heart of hearts that you are in physical danger, or that somebody with you is in physical danger, then you go if it's not avoidable. And you stop, A, when the opponent is helpless, B, if the opponent turns to flee, or C, if you can get away at any point and not have to deal with him anymore. But that's the way it's got to be in the real world, or you're asking for trouble. Avoid, if at all possible, going to the ground with your adversary. That was in uh, Kill or Get Killed, right? So Absolutely. I was I was wondering, could you please explain why Brazilian jiu-jitsu is an effective form of self-protection or hand-to-hand combat? Right. Well, first of all, those who are young, in top shape, actively competing in it as black belts, I'm sure using elements of what they do could defend themselves most of the time very successfully. These are well-conditioned, tough athletes. However, I'm also sure that um, a person who was using a fighting knife could learn how to cut meat effectively. They're two separate things. This idea of going to the ground, of wanting to go to the ground to, to finish the action is suicidal because of, and actually I, I wrote a, a white paper on this years ago, uh, the myth of, of ground grappling. There's so many things wrong with it that it takes about uh, 30 pages to cover them all. But it is, it wasn't only Rex Applegate, it was William Fairbairn, who by the way was a jujitsu black belt, and it was Pat O'Neill who at the time, he was the instructor for the uh, Canadian-American First Special Service Force called the Devil's Brigade. Well, Pat O'Neill at the time was the highest-ranking judo jiu-jitsu competitor in the world of Caucasian descent. Prior to World War II, he had defeated the Japanese champions at their own game, and he did it predominantly with ground fighting. When the war broke out, and he was recommended as an instructor by Fairbairn, who he worked under at the Shanghai Municipal Police when he was a detective there. He threw out all ground fighting. He wouldn't teach any of that to the first special service force. So here was a world-class expert who knew. Fairbairn knew. Applegate knew. Uh, uh, anybody who has had real-world experience to a high degree understands that. Now, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu has become popular. I do give the people who have popularized it tremendous credit for their entrepreneurial acumen. I mean, they've turned this into a multi-million dollar uh, business for themselves. And um, it's just too bad that so many people in the martial arts world have a room temperature IQ, and they just can't figure out the racket. They always say, well, if your stuff is so good, come on the mat and prove it. Well, the fact of the matter is, once you do that, you agree to their rules, 
and their rules favor what they do. Now, that's right. a game of highly loaded dice, and those who are practicing for close combat are not practicing anything for the ring. Virtually everything that is trained into a combative student is banned from competition, and it should be. I don't think it should ever be used. But it's largely the popularity of sport. Americans don't like to train. They like to play. For every person yeah, who enters physique contests, there are thousands of fans who like to watch him. And there's just a few people who train with weight sensibly just to build themselves up for themselves. It's just the way it is, the way we are here. But believe me, that stuff is not hand-to-hand combat. Right. And in sport, it's always one-on-one. And in, in real-world you know, situations when you get attacked, I mean, it's not usually one-on-one. Absolutely not, nor is it your attacker unarmed, nor is your attacker uh, in your weight class, nor does your attacker have to square off with you. He can attack you from behind. Uh, he, can, um, he can attack you when you have your arm in a cast. He can attack you when you're with your children or your wife, and, and uh, now you have the problem of defending them. He can attack you in a cramped and crowded area. He can attack you at any time, at any place, in any way. That is combat. Right. Yeah, I, I, know, I heard one of your talks before, and you said the most dangerous thing is when if even if you're trying to be aware is the sneak attack because then someone can get the first blow on you and attack you when you're not ready and you said that your mindset would be that you always walk around like you don't trust anyone you don't know right that's part of the mindset right yes it is absolutely correct and that doesn't mean paranoia paranoia being a medical term that refers to states of delusion and persecution what we're talking about here is not delusion. It's not a delusion to think that there's a potential danger of attack. I mean, you've got right. stories about it in every newspaper in the country every day. Um, it, nor does it mean to be aggressive or to be prickly or to be um, looking for trouble. Quite the opposite. You're looking to avoid trouble. You're, you're alert all the time because you understand you live in a feral world and you want to steer clear of the potential problems in it. One of my students is with the United States Secret Service. I'm not going to say his name, but he's with the close protection detail of our president. Entirely aside from how you may feel about our president, he has a noble philosophy. He's protecting the office, not the person in any case. And okay. Well, the Secret Service does the same thing. They look constantly. They don't go to sleep while they're safeguarding the uh, chief executive. They are looking. They're they're searching. And if they notice any potential problem, they will get the president out of there in a heartbeat. They'll they'll get him out of there. They they, They don't want to stand there and draw their weapons and get into a battle, even though they're quite good with their weapons. That's not the point. That becomes a last resort, not a first resort. And happily, by being so alert, by maintaining this alertness as a mandate at all times, they generally are extremely successful in avoiding problems for the the president and his family. Person has to do the same thing for himself and his family. It's not paranoid uh, behavior at all. It's, it's, It's practical common sense. Absolutely. The nut is not the person who's alert. The nut is the person who doesn't think he has to be alert. What would you recommend to someone, uh, a good strength training program for someone who, you know, was serious about uh, close combat and self-defense? Well, that's an excellent question. And I have always believed, and I believe today and have seen nothing but validation for it, that uh, weight training is one of the key physical supplements or supplementary physical activities for anyone training in close combat. But it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't really be, any kind of a unique program. If you follow a good basic program using presses, curls, squats, bench press, rowing, deadlifting, abdominal work, 
you're doing what you got to do. You're building up all the major muscle groups, uh, train sensibly. I, I wouldn't, uh, I'd never use split routines like our common to the bodybuilders. Uh, I mean, all due respect, if they want to train that way, they can go ahead and train that way. But uh, I just recommend two or three heavy basic workouts each week for the whole body using the proven basic exercises. And from time to time, you can change them off. For example, using the military press instead of the dumbbell presses or using alternate dumbbell presses instead of simultaneous, using leg raises instead of uh, sit-ups, and so on. You know, you can shuffle it around, but you should always follow a balanced, basic routine that trains the entire body well. And don't expect that to, per se, prove your ability to defend yourself the way techniques will. But they will bolster the techniques and also increase the tenacity and resilience of your body, as well as give you greater confidence. Brad, how many days a week do you recommend your combato students to train in the self-defense? In self-defense, two workouts a week in techniques and as much supplementary work at home as they can make the time to do. Uh, if you want to get uh, better, of course, if you're if you want to rise very quickly, or you are fascinated by becoming an expert, the more the better. You you could train for hours every day. Self defense techniques, unlike weight training, don't really break down body tissue. Certainly not to the point where you need days of rest in order to rebuild. Right. You can train in techniques every day. But a good a good basic plan would be, let's say, for the average person, two classes a week and three practice sessions at home on other days of, of about 20 to 30 minutes. That would be a good minimum routine for somebody who just wants to learn how to defend himself. He's not interested in any, any level of professional expertise. That's all he wants. With an increasing amount proportionately to all of the components, weight training, class practice, practice at home for those who want to pursue it more seriously. Brad, if somebody wanted to have you as their coach, uh, you know, no matter where they live, I know that you now have um, some of your classes, uh, your American Combato, and I think you even have some some of your self-hypnosis on DVDs, right? Well, I have CDs. I have self-hypnosis programs. There are 20 of them. Each one covers a critical area of mental conditioning specifically for close combat and self-defense. And they're very effective. Uh, they they are available on CD. Uh, I have a DVD course for those who wish to train on their own at home. It's very effective. The It's 11 DVDs, each one covering a critical area of, of study. And um, it's the techniques are demonstrated slowly and carefully, so everybody can pick them up just like you'd be taught personally. And everything is explained well. There's more material in that course than anybody could need, and uh, it's pretty comprehensive in its coverage. Uh, if they're interested in finding out more about this, they can go to www.americancombato one word, dot com, or seattlecombatives, one word, dot com, or prescottcombatives, one word, dot com. And, uh, and each of those sites contains the uh, other site's information. You, uh, there's a free newsletter comes out every month on American Combato. There's tons of free articles on Seattle Combatives, and there are radio programs and uh, my top student, Mark Bryans, I, from time to time, will do a demonstration on there. You see him teaching a class on uh, Prescott Combatives. Prescott is in Arizona, and that's the only other school where this is taught personally. Yeah, you also have um, the Sword and Pen, which is uh, also great to read. Well, that's the newsletter. That's the newsletter that appears on uh, AmericanCombato.com. That appears oh, okay. every month. And if if anybody's interested, they go on there, they can access them going back about four years or more. 
and they can, they're free to uh, print them out. You know, they can uh, keep them in their files. There's there's a tremendous amount of information there. Seattle Combatives has uh, something like uh, 400 articles or, uh, in all the wow. different sections. You go to the bottom of one page, and then you can go back to previous uh, articles. It also has book reviews of books that are recommended for uh, those who want to uh, read up on and, and who may want to learn something from some of the books. Some of the books are excellent. Uh, so there are book reviews, there's commentary, and there's a greater explanation of the system. And all that stuff is free. The, the information right. about what is for sale is separate, but every, all of that stuff is free, and people can learn a great deal just there. Well, Brad, thank you for your time. You've given us a lot of great information. And please visit Brad's informative websites, AmericanCombatto.com and SeattleCombatives.com and also PrescottCombatives.com. And Brad can now coach you from anywhere, so check out his great DVD and CD deals. And Brad, I definitely want to have you on the show again, and thank you so it's much pleasure. for being we on the show. pleasure. We can do another thing next Sunday. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Brad. No, uh, I really enjoy take, talking to you. Take, you're you're a wealth too. of information. Thanks a lot, Have a wonderful week. That's going to do it for this episode of the Rugged Individual Podcast on MindForceRadio.com. If you would like to be a guest on the show or have comments or suggestions, please send them to Bob at MindForceRadio at Earthlink.net. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.